Hello? Anybody home? Today, I want you to open your mind. I've almost come to the conclusion that the story is so damning that the mass of people can't deal with it. We are in process of developing a whole series of techniques to get people actually to love their servitude. We face a hostile ideology, global in scope, atheistic in character, ruthless in purpose and insidious in method. For we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that relies primarily on covet means for expanding its sphere of influence. To change the minds and the attitudes and the beliefs of the people of the world, especially the United States, to bring about one world socialist totalitarian government. The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. It has patterned itself after every dictator who has ever planted the ripping imprint of a boot on the pages of history since the beginning of time. Brutes have risen to power, but they lie. Dictators free themselves, but they enslave the people. If you can get people to consent to the state of affairs in which they are living, then you have a much more easily controllable society than you would if you were relying wholly on clubs and firing squads and concentration camps. Tools of conquest do not necessarily come with bombs and explosions and fallout. There are weapons that are simply thoughts, attitudes, prejudices, to be found only in the minds of men. As you connect the dots between different people, organizations, places, religions, history, suddenly the picture starts to form. If you don't connect the dots, it's just a mass of what's all this about. The kingdom of God is within man, not one man, nor a group of men, but in all men, in you. You, the people, have the power to make this life free and beautiful to make this life a wonderful adventure. Someone born in the United States is not more special than someone born in Mexico. Someone who is white is not more special than someone who is black. They're just vehicles for the consciousness to experience. War is peace. Freedom is slavery. Ignorance is strength. They do not want your children to be educated. They do not want you to think too much. It was learned that the aliens had been and were then manipulating masses of people through secret societies, witchcraft, magic, the occult, and religion. They reach into our children in music, television, books. Prey on children's innocence. How can I disprove lies that are stamped with an official seal? So if you have the opportunity to stand next to one of these machines, it feels like an altar to an alien god. Genetic power is the most awesome force the planet's ever seen, but you wield it like a kid that's found his dad's gun. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc is now in the possession of the Army. Too many others know what's happening out there, and no one, no government agency has jurisdiction over the truth. Any state, any entity, any ideology that fails to recognize the worth, the dignity, the rights of man. That state is obsolete. A case to be filed under M for Mankind in the Twilight Zone. About time some of you got acquainted with the real hard truth. It's the heart that says, I will not acquiesce. Across the gulf of space, intellects, vast and cool and unsympathetic, regarded our planet with envious eyes. Each of us, when separated, is always looking for our other half. And the desire and the pursuit of the whole is called love. Heart perception will change everything. Freedom is the privilege to be right. Freedom from the disasters of our mistakes.
broadcasting from the Sonoran Desert. I'm your host, Ryan Gable, and you are tuned into The Secret Teachings Radio, airing five nights a week, Monday through Friday, right after Clyde Lewis and Ground Zero on groundzero.radio, broadcasting worldwide. If you'd like to contact the show this Wednesday, November 9th, 2022, email us at rdgable at yahoo.com, tstradio at protonmail.com. Those are the two emails. Also on Twitter and Facebook and our website, www.thesecretteachings.info. You can find our show archive, my books, and more. If you subscribe, you'll get access to the shows without advertisements, the montage archive, the digital copies of my books. That alone, I think, is worth it. And you'll also get access to a private RSS feed to plug into your radio podcast application or player and take the show with you without ads. If not, you can always listen to the show not only on GroundZero.radio, but any radio or podcast player. Just search the name of the show, The secret teachings and you'll be able to find it pretty easily if you're on say apple podcasts please go to the very bottom of the podcast player and leave us a review give us a couple of stars whatever you think we deserve and leave us a brief review of what you think of the show that would really really help us out so it is a day after the election day after the midterm elections, and I thought we would go from what people perceive as the mundane, that of politics, into what a lot of people would perceive as extremely esoteric and extremely occult, which for some has a very dark association. But the occult and the esoteric are really the opposite of dark and evil, Occult and esoteric subjects are meant to awaken, meant to enlighten, meant to awaken, in particular, that part of yourself that is always lying under the cover of the conscious mind. Last night, although we did an election show, we talked about this Central American god named Tez Quetzalcoatl, and his name means the smoking mirror. Tezcat means obsidian. And so a lot of researchers, archaeologists, and others believe that his name refers to the black obsidian mirrors, which can be looked into and scried through in order to see things from a distance, kind of like that little ball from Lord of the Rings. Uh, classical crystal balls, or what they call crystallomancy. And Tezcatlipoca is not a good, loving, peaceful god. He's kind of like Yahweh. He's kind of an a-hole. Very nasty god. He drove out the civilizing god of Central America, Quetzalcoatl, which means plumed serpent. He's also known as America, And in part, this is where we get the name America or the Americas. It's the land of the plumed serpent. So Quetzalcoatl comes to what we know as Central America. Again, we discussed this last night, just a brief recap. And he brings civilization. He brings life 
essentially. He brings civilization. He brings society. He brings mathematics. He brings engineering. He brings law, kind of like Moses. He brings all these wonderful, fantastic things, and he stops barbaric cults of human sacrifice. Now, over the years, Tezcatlipoca was able to push Quetzalcoatl out of Central America, and Quetzalcoatl, who came on a boat on the ocean, Gulf of Mexico area, was pushed back out into the ocean, and he promised that as he was pushed out of his domain, he would return one day and end the cult that is Tezcatlipoca, a cult that was based on blood sacrifice, a cult that was based on human sacrifice, a cult that was based on the sacrifice of babies and children, young adults, adults, etc. In some cases, we know that the Aztecs would sacrifice tens of thousands of people at once in some ceremonies. And as terrible as such a thing is, for some reason, we have this idea that Europeans, that the Spanish came to Central and South America and they brought with them this terrible genocide, which they did. But the only reason they were able to do that consistently and effectively was because the way that the Spaniards looked actually mirrored, and it's likely that Francisco Pizarro and Hernan Cortez had played on intentionally the religious beliefs of the people of those areas that they conquered, so that when they appeared on the ocean and when they arrived on the shores, they would be looked at as gods. They would be seen as the return of the gods. So then the native populations would allow them into the sacred cities, and then they committed mass genocide. What the Europeans did was horrific, but what the native and the Indians did, call them whatever you choose, some people like native, some people like Indian, was also quite horrific. So whether it's white people or darker-skinned people, as we talked about on Monday with uh, Ethan Walton, as uh, a long history of terrible things that everybody has done to everybody else. And we should be living civilized today by accepting everybody for who they are rather than dwelling on the past uh, about these types of things. So the point is that the cult of Quetzalcoatl was pushed out of Central America and it was replaced by this cult of human sacrifice. Now, this is the same God that the state of California wants children in schools to praise. They want children to chant the name of a God that called for the sacrifice of children that age. Now, some people would suggest perhaps that this is a, a very dark and satanic thing. Others might gloss over it and say it's just history and it's not much more than that. And I'm somewhere in the middle. But I do think that intending to and attempting to um, make it uh, part of the curriculum to get children to chant the name of a god of human and particularly child sacrifice is intellectually barbaric. And the reason in which I think that they're trying to do this in places like California, this happened last year, they were trying to make this uh, part of the curriculum, is because the cult of Tezcatlipoca is very much alive and well today. Now, that could be a cult that is quite literally, and in the political sphere, 
speaking of the political sphere, people descendant, perhaps, from these more ancient and old and even new world cults, because a lot of this came from the so-called old world, you know, Egypt, Central America, South America, Asia, uh, India, they have very similar mythologies and histories in terms of the gods and civilization and things like that. Or it could be more of an archetype of what we consider to be good versus evil. So I think that the cult of Tezcatlipoca is very much alive today. And if you don't know this god, well, then maybe you'll know a variety of other gods around the world. One of the best known probably is Set or Seth, one of the nine gods of Egypt. And the brother, in most stories, of Osiris, Cyrus, of course, was put into the coffin and he was placed on the Nile River and then that coffin went down the river and was picked up by a tamarisk tree and the tamarisk tree was then cut down and put into a palace of a Syrian king. So the story is that Osiris was put in the tomb and then raised as a pillar, as a king, as a cornerstone of a royal palace. So the idea is that Osiris is the soul, the coffin is the body, the Nile is the river of souls or the Milky Way. We are grasped by the roots of this tree, the tree of life, if you will, the, uh, the Kabbalistic tree uh, at the very base. And then we are raised up through this tree until we reach the top of the tree, which is Kether, and we are raised in a temple, in a, in a palace. Uh, which is the heavens, the divine. And it is this story that is mirrored directly in the story of that little baby in Egypt. Remember the prince of Egypt, that little baby in Egypt, placed into a little tiny basket, floats down the river, and then is raised as royalty in the house of the Pharaoh. And that same story of Moses and leading his people to uh, salvation uh, and receiving the tablets on the mountain. This is the same story, the same archetypes, the same symbolism that you find all over the world. You find these types of uh, stories of heroes and civilizing gods and evil deities. You find them from Japan to India, from Scandinavia to South America to Central America to North America. You find them all over the world. Uh, the one place that I don't know a lot about mythology is uh the Russian area. I know about a little bit about Slavic lore, um, but I don't know a ton about that. I know that the same stories are found in places like China, literally Australia. Uh, the plum serpent there was called the rainbow serpent. So all of this has a deeper meaning. All of this, I think, can be summarized. The way I want to go with the show tonight is I want to read you a Bible verse. I know people get upset with me when I be reading Bible verses or they think that uh, I'm of a Christian and then they get upset when I interpret it differently than their pastor does. So there's a Bible verse that is one of my favorite Bible verses. And for the record, I read the Quran. I read the Bhagavad Gita, the Mahabharata. I read everything that I can get my hands on, the Aquarian Gospels. I read the Gnostic Gospels. I read the Pistis Sophia. You name it, I've probably read it or I'm in the middle of reading it. So here is one of my favorite Bible verses, John 14, 6. It says this, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
Now, I've told you before that as the cycle of the year continues overlapping and cycling, you have the eight sabbats, you have the four major points of the wheel, and those four major points of the wheel are associated with the four horses of the apocalypse. Again, Yule is the pale horse, winter. Ostara, Easter, or Ishtar, the Babylonian goddess. This is the white horse of spring. Then you have Letha, the summer solstice. This is the red horse. And then Mabon, the fall equinox, starts us on the decline when we have the black horse with the scales about to weigh our souls feathers against a heart like in the Egyptian Hall of Judgment, which was almost identically, I mean, almost completely identically mirrored in the Americas, in both Indian traditions in the North, in the South, and in Central America, you find these similar types of um, of underworlds. The story of uh, in Guatemala of Zibalba is a really fascinating story that is not very popular, but it's uh, very similar in a theme to the story of the Egyptian underworld. And uh, you have the same kinds of dog-headed deities, bird-headed deities, like you know Thoth or Toth. Um, uh, you have uh, Anubis, of course. Uh, I, I can't remember how you pronounce the name. It's like Zoltol in... Um, in the Maya, I believe, or something to that effect. But anyway, the point is, you have these um, these underworld stories, and you have the, uh, I, I think, one of the greatest proofs of an incredibly uh, mystical and magical history. Uh, and for some people, I would say proof that what is in the Bible is actually true, is this Bible verse, John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the light. And when you look at what the word way means, the word way is a way of life. It is a pattern and a process by which to achieve godhood. It is what the civilizing gods of Central and South America, of India, of Asia, of Australia, etc. taught in one way or another. It is from this truth, the way to the truth, to life, from truth will flow eternal life and light in all of its brilliant forms. The father of this trinity is the prototype of man, or the Kabbalistic Adam Kadmon. The son, as in Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, is eternal reason, the reasoning faculties of man. And the Holy Ghost, or spirit, or the mother of this trinity, is spiritual generation. The man, reason, and spiritual generation. Now these concepts and these ideas are older than dirt, and they likely come from a time that probably far exceeds uh, some of the greatest monuments, including the Great Pyramid of Khufu or Cheops or at Giza, uh, the amazing structures at Teotihuacan and Tiwanaku, the uh, incredible uh, find of Dwarka off the coast of India. We talked about this last night. These locations, these places, these sacred 
uh, areas where the gods came down, bestowed civilization. Heliopolis in Egypt, for example, another place where the sacred mysteries were were housed, where the priests uh, maintained these mysteries. It is this amazing and incredible um, series of rituals that have been contained within sacred books and were performed in sacred locations that were meant to awaken the the individual mundane uh, novice neophyte to an understanding of the spiritual, an understanding of that which is beyond uh, the mundane sphere. So a lot of us know about Egypt, but there is another location far off that most of us have never heard of or thought of. There's a few authors and researchers who have lived there and studied this place, and it is the country of Japan. And the country of Japan has a rich history of similar Jesus-like mythology. And the Jesus-like mythology in Japan is just like the mythology in the Middle East or in India or in the Americas, and it all has... A similar goal. Uh, the goal is to prepare adherence to the sacred doctrines of the way. That's what we call it, the way. Jesus is the way. It's part of a path towards something called living resurrection. This is what Christians say when they said they've been born again. Now, there's a god named Hermes. You've probably heard of Hermes. Hermes, or associated with Thoth in, in Egypt, is the Greek guide of souls. So he's a psychopompus. And he's commonly depicted as a good shepherd carrying a goat, a symbol later reserved exclusively for Christian uh, Christian belief, Christendom, and uh, for the Savior, that is Jesus. The Paschal Lamb is very similar with the bloody um, wound in its side. Now, sacred to Hermes, much like sacred to Christ and sacred to Krishna, the Christna, is the path or the way, the path, or the way. This path or this way was talked about not only in regard to Hermes, but the Greek musician and poet Orpheus, who is also known as the Good Shepherd. If you go to the Japanese history of these mysteries, these secret teachings, you find that pilgrims in Japan embarked on journeys of initiation to sacred mountains in order to find what they call the way. It's called Shu Yindo, the way. Therefore, the Japanese have much respect for sacred mountains, same kind of sacred mountains that the various arcs rested on at the end of the deluge. Whether those stories are east, west, north, or south, there are dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of them. And of course, the sacred mountains where man communicates with God, where Moses received the tablets commandments of how to live within the rules of the divine, of natural law, etc. So the Japanese have similar views on this as a lot of Christians in the West. Sacred mountains, including Fuji no Yama, the honorable mountain. Now one interpretation of the word Fuji is everlasting life which would fully express the sacred qualities of initiation relating to the sacred locations such as Fujinoyama. The word Shigindo, which means the way, uh, breaks into three different parts. So the way 
in Japan, shugindo, breaks down to meaning nurturing, realization, and attainment of Nihon, which is nirvana. Of course, you have a strong Buddhist tradition and other similar types of traditions in Japan. And whether people in the West want to admit it or not, all the way on the other side of the world, all the way to the East, they had the same types of traditions. So say what you want about, let's go to Japan and look at Yanaguni in the very far southwest of the island chain. Let's go to Egypt and see Giza. Let's go see Dwarka, Krishna City off the northwest coast of India. Let's go see Tiwanaku and Machu Picchu, Sacsayhuan, Teotihuacan. Let's look in the Americas for uh, the Serpent Mounds. Let's look all over the world for these incredible structures and the mathematical uh, ability of the builders, engineering skill, and all these things. And that shows us that there had to have been some kind of advanced civilization, certainly an advanced knowledge. The proof of that is is in the pudding, as they say. It's there in the artifacts, in the monuments, the megaliths, the monolithic uh, structures. But it's also in the mythology. It's also in the stories. Uh, in Egypt, the pyramid texts describe all of uh, this tradition, this rich tradition of uh, ritual and initiation into, quote, the way, or in Japan, the shugindo. So it, it means nurturing, realization, and attainment to be associated with man, reason, and spiritual generation. Now, Shintoism, you've probably heard of that, is Japan's oldest mystical practice, and it's rooted in a Chinese philosophy of Shandeo, philosophical path of the spirit, so the path. It's also known as just Tao or Taoism, for which we acquire the yin-yang. So a popular Japanese, a popular Chinese religious tradition, rich in similar symbolism, talks about the way and the path. Taoism professes the spiritual harmony found within the individual and is thus associated with the way of Hermes, or Hermes Trismegistus, Hermes uh, thrice great, three times great Hermes. Several different uh, Hermes. One of the most sacred of all the Shinto shrines is a place called Isa Jingu. And in earlier times, its wisdom keepers were the genie, like the genie, or teachers who embody knowledge of the spirit. These teachers are also related to the Persian Jin. It's in the name, known as beings of luminous fire without smoke. The fire signifies their illumination as bodies of knowledge and wisdom. And it is the name Isa or Isa Jinga, or Jingu, uh, one of the shrines that relates to the goddess or the mother of all, Isis. And when we come back from break, I want to take you from Japan to Egypt and show you how these traditions and mythologies and religious beliefs are similar, if not completely identical in some cases, and how all that relates to the month of November, which is the new year birth, rebirth in the old world. We're going to talk about that tonight on The Secret Teachings and take us far, far, far away from all of the political interest and confusion, taking you to the world of The Secret Teachings and the Mysteries tonight on the broadcast. More after this. Stay with us. 
The Secret Teachings radio show is on Facebook and Twitter. Just search facebook.com forward slash The Secret Teachings to like us and TST underscore underscore radio to tweet with us. If you enjoy The Secret Teachings and want to hold years of Ryan's research in your hands, visit the website and grab a physical and digital copy of Ryan's books. Occult Arcana will introduce you to sacred myths, folklore, magic, and alchemy. The technological elixir will take you from transhumanism and AI to black goo and UFOs. Food philosophy will change your mind about what we call food, germ theory, and geoengineering. And remember, shipping is always included. Some restrictions exist for international. Visit thesecretteachings.info. From Ground Zero to the Secret Teachings. Keep your dial tuned to Ground Zero Radio. If you'd like to hear more of the Secret Teachings, if you missed a show or part of a show, sign up to the ever-expanding archive at thesecretteachings.info. When you subscribe for a month or a year, you get access to the full show archive to every show after it airs. You can download and stream unlimited episodes and share your login with friends or family. With your subscription, you can also get access on the website to all of Ryan's digital books and the ever-growing montage archive. Just visit thesecretteachings.info and click on the Donate Subscribe tab at the top of the page. Use the secure PayPal link and start your membership today. By subscribing, you support The Secret Teachings, Ryan, and yourself. This is one of the best discussions I've been on in a long time. You guys are right on it. Howdy, this is Joe Mars, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings. If anyone can hear this broadcast, I'm still on Earth. This is the frequency of Ground Zero Radio, Ground Zero with Clyde Lewis, and The Secret Teachings with myself, Ryan Gable. No matter where you look around the world, you find similar structures, artifacts, you find similar ideas, similar mythologies, whether that's in the West or it's in the East, if it's in the Middle East, if it's in the South, find similar deities, similar gods, similar goddesses, similar creation stories, some of which are associated with a identifiable time period within the last 10 to 15,000 years, roughly somewhere around there, usually around the time of the last ice age when there was a great deluge and a lot of things were destroyed on this planet. Far from being simple story and simple mythology, it seems as if some of these accounts were actually accurate as being more historical than fantastical. For example, if you go to the mythology of Heliopolis or Innu, the city of the sun, the city of the sun in Egypt is considered the home of the nine divine gods, or the Enid, and they house there in Heliopolis not only remnants of pyramids with the pyramid texts written on the walls, which are incredible, incredible uh, mystical and mythical traditions that defy logic when we think about the time period and the people that were supposed to be primitive. They clearly were not. And they tell in Egypt of a creation story. It involves the sun god Ra. 
Ra was formed from Atum, out of the nothingness that they call Nun, N-U-N. He created out of nothingness divine air and moisture gods named Shu and Tefnut. In combining those powers together, the god of earth Geb and the goddess of sky Nut were formed. And it was from their unification came Osiris, Isis, Set, or Seth, and Nephthys. And in the various versions of this story where you have these nine gods, the nothingness, or the nun, was a period of what was called watery chaos. In other words, a deluge, perhaps. Now, if you think about this in relation to the mythologies from around the world, you find stories of great cataclysmic events. story of Gilgamesh is probably the most famous outside of the story of Noah. But you find stories of these cataclysmic events all over the world. You find them in Central America. You find them in South America. You find them in various specific tribes that share a very similar belief system. You find them in North America. Uh, The Inuit, the Sioux, the Dakota, the Chickasaw, they all tell of a very, very similar story. Similar floods that occurred in the past. You find these stories in Malaysia, Laos, Thailand, Vietnam, Burma. The Chinese in their imperial library details a colossal flood of massive astronomical changes. Charles Berlitz said, The planets altered their course. The sky sank lower toward the earth. The sun, moon, and stars changed their motions. The earth fell to pieces and the waters and its bosom rushed upwards with violence and overflowed the earth. In India, they talk about a wise man named Manu who was informed by a tiny fish that he was going to die if he did not build a ship and uh, survive this flood by bringing two of every species, seeds and plants, on board. His boat was uh, was, was later found on top of a mountain or it came to rest on top of the mountain of the north. You find this in the Hopi tradition. You find this all over the world. And you find biblical references to this in Second Peter, where they talk about the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. In Joel 2.30, we read kind of a disturbing prophecy that the sun will be turned into darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Something that some of you might recall, yesterday morning we had a blood moon. Remember that we had the blood moon? So as disturbing of a prophecy as this is relating to perhaps the end of the world and relating perhaps to the Mayan calendar, which is really the Olmec calendar, these are not so much predictions of the end of the world as they are the end of certain types of cycles. In the same way that these traditions of what we call the way, as in Jesus is the way, the truth, and the light, this relates to a thought process and a series of rituals that are meant to unlock and to awaken the subconscious and the unconscious mind. 
I call this the way because it is a path. It is the way in which to achieve godhood or to achieve divinity. And the way in which, the path by which we do this is through the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. And no one comes to the Father except through the Son. I want you to think about a temple or a pyramid. Imagine one. And the orientation of these structures, usually to true north, south, west, and east. And imagine going into, let's say, the Great Pyramid of Giza. Into the king's chamber, perhaps into the queen's chamber as part of the ritual. Lying in the sarcophagus, this overwhelmingly impressive room that stood for thousands, if not tens of thousands of years, perfectly geometrically, mathematically aligned. Some people say, and I've never been there, some people say it vibrates. You can feel the vibration, kind of like a Buddhist temple. I have been to one of those. And you lay down in the sarcophagus, and you are kept there for three days. Perhaps you're administered a drink that puts you into an altered state of consciousness. You commune with spirits, you commune with the divine, and then you are resurrected out of the tomb. They called the Giza Pyramid the womb of Isis. You are resurrected out of the tomb, and then you leave the temple right when the sun is rising, the final day of the ritual, and you are reborn as a son S-O-N, or a daughter, women were also initiated, of God. Does that sound familiar? A son of God or a daughter of God. This is part of the initiatory process. And the pyramids and the temples are what they call wombs or bridal chambers. More on that later. Now, we know a lot about Egypt. Egypt is one of the most iconic places in the world, historically and mythologically. But what about other parts of the world? We know about other monuments, megaliths, monoliths, artifacts. What about the mythology? What about the tradition? It's interesting to note that in Japan, they have a tradition there that relates directly to what the Egyptians were doing thousands of years ago, and even into more modern times for that matter. They have something called Shugindo, which means the way. And this is where the pilgrims of Japan would embark on a journey of initiation into the sacred mountains to find the way. Fujinoyama, the honorable mountain, is of course one of these sacred mountains. Shugindo in Japanese breaks down into three different words. Shugindo, nurturing, realization, and the attainment of of nirvana. Now, if you look at China, out of China, there comes a tradition called Shendeo. Shendeo is a philosophical path for the spirit. So in both China and Japan, they have these traditions of something called the way or the path. One of the most sacred of all the Shinto shrines is called Aisa Jingu or Yingu. Wisdom keepers there were called the genie, genie, like the genie or the Persian jinn, luminous beings without smoke. 
luminous fire without smoke. The fire, of course, signifying their illumination as bodies of knowledge and wisdom. Now, the importance of Issa Jingu is described in the old prehistoric text of Japan known as the Kujiki 72. Now, this really fascinates me because there are so many parallels. Mount Omi, or Omai, in China shares similarity with the Japanese text and with spiritual development as it houses 72 monasteries. 72 monasteries, this mountain in China, and the Kujiki 72, a prehistoric text in Japan, both relate to 72 What is 72? Well, we'll find out in a second. Explained in this ancient text is the story of a heavenly messenger named Nigi Hayahi, who brings 10 treasures in the form of sacred teachings. Kind of sounds like the Ten Commandments or the Code of Hammurabi, by by which the spiritually dead are brought back to life. This is why Teotihuacan in Central America was called not only the home of the gods, where civilization was brought there, in that part of the world, but it was also the place where men became gods. Teotihuacan is known as the place where men became gods. Likewise, and not coincidentally, the Giza Plateau is the place where men would go to become gods. What are the chances of that? You have Central America, you have Egypt, and you have Japan. You could not find a more spread out separated and supposedly isolated series of cultures and civilizations that all believe the same exact thing. There is a Chinese giver of laws who brings ten treasures. Nigi Hayahi. Just like Moses. Maybe the devil came before, though, and put all these other stories here, right? Contrary to that belief, which a lot of Catholics and Christians have, I find this to be confirming of what the Bible says. So the Kujiki 72 and the 72 monasteries on Mount Omi Omai in China and the messenger god Nigi Hayahi and the Ten Treasures, like the Ten Commandments of the Cone of Hammurabi, Uh, where the spiritually dead are brought back to life. Uh, And then also, the largest Buddhist temple in the world, Boro Budur. It's a temple in central Java in Indonesia. It's pyramidal, and from the air it looks like a mandala, which is an unfolding and a representation of the universe and of the internal self, the soul, the spirit that we're trying to unlock and communicate with in these, uh, these esoteric occult rituals, if you will. And atop this massive Buddhist temple are 72 heaps, or stupas in Sanskrit, with Buddhist statues underneath. So in other words, in Indonesia, in Japan, and in uh, the Middle East, you have the same usage of the number 72 to explain something divine and something powerful. For those of you who already know what I'm talking about, you'll be aware. For those of you who don't, you might not be aware that there are 72 sacred names of God. Now, these are different religions, different places of the world, different cultures, different times, and yet they're all worshiping the same exact thing under different names. Now, especially if you're a Christian, you need to shut your mouth up for a second and recognize that this actually proves your belief. 
I hope that you can see that. I'm not being mean. I'm saying be quiet for a second and listen to what these other cultures and religious traditions are saying. They are confirming your faith. And that should be empowering rather than make, it shouldn't make you angry. Should be an empowering thing. Now, we're just getting started because this Japanese text referencing the 72 explains the story of a divine virgin named Amaterasu, the female symbol of the sun. She was also a kami, which is a god or the essence of a god whose energy emanates throughout nature, well, kind of like Isis, because Isis is all that has been and all that ever shall be. In the story of Amaterasu, we have a goddess of the sun married to the god of the moon. Each night the sun descended into the western world of shadow and upon each morning rises reborn in the east. This is where you would leave the temple and become a son or a daughter of God. You'd be resurrected. You would be born again. Your second birth. This daily cycle is also played out similarly each month by the cycles of the moon and specifically each year by the cycles of the sun as it loses strength and symbolically dies in the winter. Now, Japan is the land of the rising sun. If any culture founded this similar traditional idea, it would have been Japan. And this far dates Christianity, far dates the story of Jesus, far dates a lot of what was happening in the Middle East. Now, I don't know exactly when this particular text was written, People can assume, they can suggest things. The, the general consensus is it's several thousands of years predating Christianity. And here you have a sun goddess married to the god of the moon. They're in battle and conflict, back and forth, just like Osiris and Set. Osiris sent to the underworld and then resurrecting every day, etc. This is the story that is shared by cultures all throughout the world. It's a story that, much like the Eye of Ra, or the Eye of Horus given to his father in the underworld, where we have a similar pattern in Japan, where Amaterasu who is born from the left eye of Inzanagi no Mikoto, one of the two creator gods accompanied by Izanami no Mikoto, that created the island of Japan. And being born of the left eye associates Amaterasu with the eye of Ra or Horus, which represents the sun. And after her emotional and uh, chaotic entombment, she was entombed like Jesus or Persephone taken to the underworld. She awakens from her deep sleep, like sleeping beauty, what we call physical life, and restores the light to the world, the warmth to the world, like Demeter or Ceres. She then uh, merges with her male Kami, and becomes Amateru before descending to the shrine of Aise Jingu. Located within this shrine is the secluded and restricted area known as the Izawa no Miya. Within this space are two additional temples where adepts live in careful study of the way of Aise, or Aisa, Isa, secluded in a lengthy ritual space called Place of the Way. And it's the name Isa or Isa, 
for which we find a direct association linguistically with Isis or even Ishtar in Babylon in the Middle East. We're looking at Amaterasu, the shrine of Amaterasu, which is essentially the Japanese shrine of Isis. Priestesses of the Amaterasu shrine, the Isis shrine in Japan, were known to use a rattle that bears a really striking resemblance to something called the sistrum, which was used by the priestesses of Isis. They use the same exact instruments. The two goddesses also share other attributes, such as both were married to a husband-brother, which signified the sacred alchemical marriage. Both were repositories of divine wisdom, and both oversaw a yearly inundation that brings fertility to the land in Egypt. This inundation was that of the Nile River, and in Japan it was the rain that assured a decent rice harvest. You cannot dispute that these two characters are the same character told, called different names, I should say, told in different ways their stories, but they are coming from the same common ancestor. Language just changes the way that we look at it. Now, the name Isis also plays an interesting role relating to the pyramids of Giza, because this was a place, much like Teotihuacan, where men became gods and where we have the womb of the goddess present on earth, we can go into it and we can be reborn out of that womb. Therefore, the Giza Plateau is a place of ascension. And the Great Pyramid contains the most dominant of all of the alchemical bridal chambers. It was from here that an initiate was to have communion with spirits and after deep introspection, be born again. If you take the word Giza, you extract Isa or Isa, which is Isis, or it's the Amaterasu, or the Isa of Japan. Now, if you take the Giza Plateau and you mix it together, you look at the language, you get the letter G. G is, well, the grand architect, it's the Earth. It relates to the formation of the material world by Ta or Saturn, the great architect, which, of course, again, with the Masonic Square and Compass associated with G. From these tools, the architects, the Masonic tools, the natural laws of existence were calculated, like the Square and Compass, and um, like in a painting by William Blake, you see the creator with a compass and a long white beard of Saturn or Kronos. From the letter G, we can also find the Lord of Earth, Geb, or the goddess of Earth, Gaia, Mother Earth. So it is the womb, Giza is the womb, Giza is the womb, Giza is the womb of the earth, the womb of the goddess. This is what Giza means. Now, if you look at something called the inventory uh, artifact found by the French archaeologist Auguste Marietta, the inventory artifact of Egypt says that the Great Sphinx and the Giza pyramids were in existence long before the kings which were associated with them and that we still associate with them today. They include Khufu, Khafre, and Minkar. Greek names are Cheops, Shephron, uh, and uh, Mycerinus. I think that's how you pronounce the last name. In, in, I don't speak Greek, so I'm not 100% sure, but those are the names, Khufu, Khafre, and Minkar. Uh, but the association of those kings with these structures are are much after the fact of when they were born. The inventory artifact of Egypt 
shows us that even the ancient Egyptians didn't know who built them. And they said that the great Khufu pyramid relates to Isis. It calls her the mistress of the pyramid, which becomes her womb. Isa, Isa, like in Japan, it's the womb. G is the earth. So it's the earth womb or the womb within the earth, womb within the goddess, the mother earth, if you will. And this is a story that when you go back into pre-ancient times, of which we know very little, if anything, about, we just have stories and myths. Uh, the inventory artifact shows that these structures in Egypt, and we can assume that a lot of similar structures around the world that mirror these structures and the similar rites that were carried out at those structures, both in Egypt and other places, that these are ancient beyond ancient. That there had to have been a globally connected civilization or at least some kind of, of group that went around the world and attempted to civilize man in all these different places in the way or in the path. Like Quetzalcoatl created a, a loving and peaceful socialized community, uh, mathematics and agriculture and, 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 um, and architecture and all of the things that they needed to build something that would withstand the test of time. If you go inside of the Great Pyramid. I've never been inside the Great Pyramid. I've seen plenty of uh, pictures and videos, though. You find uh, the sarcophagus. And if you look at some of the other pyramids, like Khafre's Pyramid, the second pyramid, you find another sarcophagus. And in the third smaller pyramid, uh, you find actually building techniques, interestingly enough, that are similar to uh, Machu Picchu in South America or Sacsayhuaman in Peru. All these major structures have an incredible, as you probably know, an incredible mathematical and geometrical design. And in the 1940s, it was found that the Great Pyramid actually had eight sides to it, at least on the spring and autumnal equinoxes. On the spring and autumnal equinoxes, the pyramid has eight sides based on a play of shadows. Something also found in Central America, the Temple of Kukulkan. On the vernal and autumnal equinoxes, the illusion of a giant serpent appears on the side. At Teotihuacan, the Pyramid of the Sun has similar lighting manipulation where a specific shadow is created and eliminated on a very significant day of the year. All these structures also contain the ratio for pi built into their structure. When you look at uh, this history, and you look at what the Pyramid of Egypt was used for, the Great Pyramid, that is. There's plenty of pyramids there. Uh, we know that Pythagoras was initiated into the secret teachings of Egypt within the Pyramid of Giza. We know Napoleon Bonaparte stayed in that pyramid, came out shaken the next day. Uh, and we know that uh, when we read the biblical verse, John 11.43, And when he thus had spoken... He cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus was dead for three days. Then Lazarus was symbolically resurrected by those words, come forth. This is precisely what would happen in the mysteries, entombed for three days and then resurrected by the strong grip of the lion's paw priest in Egypt, other places, probably the panther paw, 
the Puma Paul, something to do with lions because the creator deities were usually seen as lions. In the Americas, they were pumas or other kinds of big cats. In Egypt, they were lions. It's all telling a similar story about our origin, about our creation, about the history of man. I find it fascinating. And I want to share the rest of it with you tonight on The Secret Teachings when we come back from break. There's a lot more after this. Don't go anywhere. People ask me all the time what they can do to take control of their lives when facing a daily onslaught of dis- and misinformation. I say take control of your body and mind with water filtration. Visit www.thesecretteachings.info and click on our affiliate sponsor link with Pro One Water Filters at the top of the page to search for a water filter for the home, camping trip, and even the shower. They filter countless contaminants and make a wonderful gift for friends, family, and yourself. That's Pro One Water Filters at thesecretteachings.info. This is Kev Baker of The Kev Baker Show, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings. You are listening to The Secret Teachings. To contact the show, to share information and your opinion, or give recommendations, email rdgable at yahoo.com. Visit the Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash The Secret Teachings, or visit the website at www.thesecretteachings.info. If you're looking for a great gift that keeps on giving this year, check out one of my four books for the holiday season. Occult Arcana is a monumental collection of esoteric and occult lore. The technological elixir looks at UFOs, demonology in the music industry, and the soul and spirit in relation to modern technology. Liberty Shrugged, my new book, takes you on a historical journey through the concepts of natural liberty and provides a different angle on the American Revolution. Food Philosophy explores food industry propaganda, advertising tricks, and geoengineering. Get all four books only at thesecretteachings.info in softcover or digital. That's thesecretteachings.info. If you'd like to hear more of The Secret Teachings, if you missed a show or part of a show, sign up to the ever-expanding archive at thesecretteachings.info. When you subscribe for a month or a year, you get access to the full show archive to every show after it airs. You can download and stream unlimited episodes and share your login with friends or family. With your subscription, you can also get access on the website to all of Ryan's digital books and the ever-growing montage archive. Just visit The Secret Teachings info and click on the donate subscribe tab at the top of the page use the secure paypal link and start your membership today by subscribing you support the secret teachings ryan and yourself People ask me all the time what they can do to take control of their lives when facing a daily onslaught of dis- and misinformation. I say take control of your body and mind with water filtration. Visit www.thesecretteachings.info and click on our affiliate sponsor link with Pro One Water Filters at the top of the page to search for a water filter for the home, camping trip, and even the shower. They filter countless contaminants and make a wonderful gift for friends, family, and yourself. That's Pro One Water Filters at thesecretteachings.info. Hello. Folks, this is Jordan Maxwell, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings, excellent shows with your host, Ryan Gable. Think about your hero when you're at ground zero and call out to the fall back to me. 
Attention, you are tuned into restricted airspace. Tune out immediately. This is the frequency of the secret teachings on Ground Zero Radio. Hi everyone, this is Mark Passio, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings with Ryan Gable. Welcome back to The Secret Teachings Radio. Tonight on the broadcast, November 9th, 2022. Trying to take you on a journey beyond the mundane, beyond the politics, beyond everything in the news. A journey that takes us back to ancient and pre-ancient times. It's one thing when we look at megalithic and monolithic structures. We look at artifacts out of place and time. And we look at comparative religions. What about comparative traditions and mythologies? Where if we go to Japan, we have an old prehistoric text called the Kujiki 72. We have places in China, places in Indonesia that use 72 monasteries, 72 stupas or heaps with Buddha. 72 also relates to the flower of life, sacred geometry, and the names of God. How come all of these cultures, all these traditions, West, Middle East, and East, shared the same usage of names and numbers, same types of traditions. This sacred Japanese text is fascinating because the Isa, think about it, if you say Isa, say it a couple of times, Isa, Isa, Isa. It kind of sounds like a lot of different things. It could sound very similar to Giza, like the Giza Plateau. And we'll get to that in just a second. How do I get to that, though? Might sound like I'm just stretching across time and space and the earth. But Isa is a text that describes the goddess Amaterasu. And the goddess Amaterasu, she was born out of an eye, like the eye of Ra. She's married to the god of the moon. She was in a constant battle, light and darkness. She was entombed for three days. This shows the cycle of the day as well as the cycles of the year. She descended to a shrine of Isa Jingu. Isa, or the way of Isa, is still practiced in parts of Japan. There's an area of Japan called the Izawa no Miya. And within this space are two additional temples with adepts living in the study of the way, what they call the way, and a ritual space called Place of the Way. Remember, Jesus had said that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And Isa relates to Isa, or the Egyptian Isis. And Isis is said to be the mistress of the Great Pyramid, that it contains within its chambers her womb. But also the pyramid itself is the earth, and the chambers inside are the wombs. The sarcophagus inside the king's chamber is the physical body. You place yourself into that body as a soul or a spirit to commune with the other side, and then you are resurrected or born again as a man or woman, a son or daughter of God. As you approach the rising sun, the mornings after your initiation, into the mysteries of this land, like Pythagoras or 
Napoleon even spent time inside the Great Pyramid. So it is Esau, the Amaterasu of Japan, uh, the Isis of Japan, where we get the name Giza. They're coming from the same source. Giza, the G is the Grand Architect. The G is Geb, the Lord of the Earth. So it is the Earth Isa. The Earth Isa, 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 Isa is, well, it's Isis. It's Amaterasu. It's the womb. So it is the mistress Isis of the Great Pyramid whose womb is inside of it. And we find this proven factual by the inventory artifact out of Egypt that says the Pyramid of Giza, the main pyramid, and the Great Sphinx were here in existence long before the kings that are associated with their names, the uh, uh, the Khufu and Khafre and Minkar, and that she is the mistress of the pyramid. Inside of it is her womb, etc. All of this informs us that there was a great and rich tradition in Egypt that is not confined to just the simple magnificentness and awe that we feel when we look at these temples. They were used for something equally as spiritually magnificent. Heliopolis, not too far from the Giza Plateau, Heliopolis, the city of the sun, as it's called, the city of the sun, Heliopolis, was the place where the gods came down to earth and really founded uh, the legacy that is Egypt to this day. And it was there that the priests of Heliopolis, like Imhotep, learned the secrets, the mysteries. Imhotep was known as a pyramid builder. It was said that he was able to build pyramids uh, in an incredible way, um, he was considered a magician because he could do things that uh, other, even other priests, for that matter, could not do. So the story of Imhotep is basically he's a priest and he learned the, uh, the ways in which the gods could manipulate uh, matter. And this is, I find this interesting because it's almost like Imhotep was... Um, well, he was basically uh, the precursor to Ed Lead Scallon, or Ed Lee Scalnin, I think is pronounced his last name, Scalin, Scalnin, uh, who built the Coral Castle in Florida. He said he knew the mysteries of the pyramids, right? You might remember that. And he built this incredible structure, Coral Castle, using these massive blocks. And Imhotep, much, much earlier on, thousands of years ago, supposedly was able to do, uh, well, pretty much the same exact thing. He was able to build these ziggurats, these temples, with magical abilities. And one of the temples that he is reported to have built is where we find powerful inscriptions known as the pyramid texts, which talk about um, incredible spiritual experiences and advances that a lot of people don't understand today. We still don't fully understand we have ideas, but we still, still don't fully understand what they mean. In Central America, Maya legend said that all they had to do was whistle and these heavy rocks would move into place. In South America, stone blocks used to build Tiwanaku were carried through the air to the sound of a trumpet. Similar type of thing was said, well, about Imhotep and also at the Coral Castle in Florida. So this isn't just spiritual knowledge. 
This is also very physical, mundane knowledge. We're talking about ancient traditions that go beyond the ancient world that indicate, I'm fully convinced, that there was a very advanced, I think human, civilization on this planet and they taught to native peoples that were not as advanced mathematics, astronomy, calendar systems, architecture, engineering. They taught them spiritualism, religion, love, peace, and they taught them the way, which is still practiced in Japan. It's practiced in Egypt. It's practiced in the Americas. It's practiced everywhere. Now, what exactly is the way? I mentioned something earlier called the bridal chamber. What is the bridal chamber? I want you to seriously think about that question for a second. Have you ever heard of a bridal chamber? Exactly is a bridal chamber. A bridal chamber is essentially the womb of the goddess or the womb uh, of the earth. The bridal chamber is the place where the alchemical marriage would take place. The bridal chamber is a location where the sacred could be connected with. It is a place where people learn about their higher selves. Uh, The bridal chamber is basically the alchemical marriage And the bridal chamber is something that, if you read the Gospel of Philip, the Gospel of Philip talks about the bridal chamber and refers to the groom and bride, or the power of the male and female, which he says resides in the mirrored bridal chamber. He says, males have sex with souls who inhabit a female shape, and females mingle promiscuously with souls in a male form. No one escapes those spirits. They seize you unless you take on the power of male and female, of groom and bride. That power resides in the bridal chamber. Now, the location of these bridal chambers, you know Egypt and you know Japan now, also all throughout the Americas, the locations of these bridal chambers were usually within natural structures like grottos and caves. This is usually where the Guatemala tradition of Zabalba, the Zabalba mysteries were carried out in uh, the Middle East, in in Persia, uh, the Persian tradition of the cult of Mithras, which was really uh, preferred by Roman soldiers for some reason. They performed their rituals and both in, you know, Guatemala, the cult of Zabalba and the cult of Mithra. And these are positive cults, not negative cults. They also had seven stages or seven steps. Seven divine rays of light, seven holes in the head, seven days of creation, all the same type of a thing. And again, for Christians that find this stuff offensive, I don't know why that's the case. But this, I think, actually confirms your your belief in Christianity uh, in the same way that a lot of this really confirms your belief in Islam. I mean, Muhammad plays a very similar role. I mean, most Muslims that I've spoken to anyway, and from what I've read, they, they believe everything Christians believe. They just don't believe that Jesus is the Savior who was uh, a physical God. Uh, different interpretations of that, of course, but they believe in Mary. They believe in Jesus. They believe in all the similar things that the Christians believe in. So a lot of these places where they would go into the bridal chambers, again, we know that it took me an hour to get through Egypt and Japan. So we know that they practice similar things. Isa in Japan is Isis. 
or Giza, the Giza Plateau, the mistress of the pyramid, the womb of the mother, the womb of the goddess, the womb of the earth, the pyramid is the earth, the structure of the earth, all of that, Egypt and Japan, one that you know a lot about already and one that you don't know a lot about in Japan. So then we go throughout the rest of the world. We find uh, natural structures, grottos and caves used in the Mithra cult, used in the Zabalba cult. Then we find artificial structures. These would be, of course, your pyramids. Uh, these would be um, maybe reinforced caves. These would be, uh, you know, your structured or uh, constructed crypts. Uh, these would be your temples up and down the Nile. Uh, these would be your temples that you would find, for example, Teotihuacan, where Quetzalcoatl came from, supposedly, in one of the stories, uh, birthing the sun. Uh, this is the place, as they say, where men became gods. And Egypt is also known as the place, particularly Giza or Isa, where men became gods. Can't really get much more self-explanatory than that. It's not that men actually became physical gods. It's that men became spiritual gods. They recognized their divine self. And they were initiated and then resurrected and they were born again. Now, a lot of these places, Giza is probably the best example still. Many of these places were chosen due to their natural energy. Vibratory energy fields were meant to induce states of ecstasy coupled with very powerful hallucinogenic substances that put one into an altered state of consciousness. Other locations might have been chosen for totally different reasons. Perhaps they were the location of the gods. The gods built Teotihuacan. When the Aztecs found it, it was ancient, even to the Aztecs. Same thing with uh, Tiwanaku. Uh, the Indians there say that it was built, the Inca said it was built. Prehistory. The Inca didn't build it. Which is interesting, because even though the pharaohs in Egypt did take responsibility for the pyramids, there's no evidence or proof of that, just some graffiti. The three main pyramids, Khufu, Khafre, and Makar. In uh, South America, the Inca said, nope, we didn't build it. You would think that a king would say, yeah, I built that. Nope, they said they did not build it. The gods built it. We're dealing with a similar thing here. So maybe these were locations selected by the gods, whatever, whoever, whomever those gods were. But the whole point of whatever the location was, it was supposed to be a place where you could elevate chanting and singing and meditation. Um, and perhaps in this process, uh, I believe it was probably taught after initiation, you would be able to levitate um, matter and manipulate matter like ta. And this is the story in the Americas and in Africa of stones elevated through what we call acoustic levitation. The singing and the dancing were also integral parts of most of these sacred rites. And they preserved elements that were not verbally explainable. So the bridal chambers are, simply put, wombs. They are the chapel where you marry male and female. Sacred sites, in general, many constructed on already sacred locations. I mean, the Spaniards just built their churches on top of temples that were older than the Indians that they conquered. Uh, they were selected for initiation rituals and ceremonies, uh, energies that were related to, uh, you know, crossing lines, ley lines. Um. These lines were referred to by the Sioux as the Skan. 
Uh, in India and Egypt, they were just referred to as snakes. Just like the Americas are the land of the plum serpent. You got the serpent as well, the rainbow serpent in one of the longest uh, running, the longest uh, reigning culture, which is the Aboriginal Australians. They have the rainbow serpent there. Uh, material science would call these lines conductivity uh, lines or uh, they would be, uh, you know, basically just your your, lo- your natural lines of energy in the earth, probably what Tesla tapped into. Uh, and their intersection is known as a crossroads, which is like the Greek goddess Hecate or Hecate. Uh, Hecate is how you pronounce it. Some people say Hecate, he- Hecate. Uh, she was associated with these crossroads, along with ghosts and sorcery and other dark places. The crossing of these lines produces doorways. It was believed to other worlds. So within the bridal chamber, initiates were meant to have spiritual experiences by communing with spirits from these other worlds. That's why these bridal chambers and these temples were placed in very important locations where the energy lines converged, so opening a gateway or a doorway to the other side. Now, when you look at these, again, so-called bridal chambers, you look at the usage of the colors and the symbols you look at the, the rich tradition of the dancing and the costumes and the dramas that were enacted. The, the story of Isis is so powerful because the lore of Isis and uh, the legacy uh, that whatever it was that founded Egypt left behind, this was the not only in Heliopolis, but Egypt itself was the centerpiece, uh, the grand centerpiece of a pre-ancient civilization. Some believe came from Atlantis, others that Egypt sprang out of nothingness. Uh, The answer is probably somewhere in the middle, but then they spread to other parts of the world. That's why they have Isa or Isa in Japan. That's why they have the same gods in the Americas because we're all looking at a common uh, source for this tradition. Isis, it is said, and as you read on the inscription of the static Isis, she says, I, Isis, am all that has been, that is, or shall be. No mortal man hath ever unveiled me. By no mortal man, uninitiated novices, not yet instructed under the wings of Isis to become sons of the widow. She's a widow because Osiris was put into that coffin, that tomb I talked about earlier and put on the river. Now, having never been unveiled by these mortal men, we are to extract that no man has ever been bestowed the wisdom of the mysteries without partaking of the proper course of initiation. They are considered dead, or they are called corpses, for not having resurrected their spirit. In other words, these are the men, or the souls, the dead, that come to Teotihuacan, that come to Isa Jungu in Japan, that come to Giza, in Egypt, to become initiated into the mysteries. Now, the face of Isis, in a lot of depictions, shows her veiled in a scarlet cloth, which is symbolic of ignorance and emotionalism that inhibit growth and stand in our way of truth, or stand in the way, quote-unquote, the way of truth. This veil is representative of the scarlet robes worn by the Hyradol, or the sacred women, of the Sumerian and Babylonian mysteries. Their robes represented ritu, or truth, or ritual. You can finish the word. 
and were only later associated when the word Hyredoli was translated into harlot. So the red woman became the harlot or the whore, but this is a mistranslation. Isis stands between the pillars of apparent contradiction, demonstrating how understanding is always found at the balance point of equilibrium and that truth is often crucified between two thieves, just like Jesus, where the pillars in the Masonic tradition, beauty and strength, philosophy and science, Boaz and Jachin, for which the universal temple is upheld. Now, we can use this information to better understand the world around us today, whether we're, quote, initiates or not especially when we're talking about politics and voting. And we can understand cults of the old and ancient days of human civilization like Tezcatlipoca, which predates uh, modern traditions, very ancient, but in more modern times in the last thousand or so years, couple thousand years, uh, the tradition is, this God demanded human sacrifice and demanded the sacrifice of children in the same way of, of Moloch. Thou shalt not sacrifice their children on the altar of Moloch. You know that story in that Bible verse. Today, when schools in California want kids to chant that name, uh, these cults are still very much alive and well today. So I always think like if someone tunes into this show and they think, well, why, why is he talking about some kind of ancient history here or something like talk about politics? What about the election? We did that yesterday, and we did that Monday with Ethan Walt, and we did that with Christy Kelly on Friday. But tonight we're talking about this because there's still a relationship with all the division, all the hatred, all the vile, and all the vitriol. Um, should say vile vitriol, just angry, nasty commentary and fighting and arguing, which is not debating, by the way. It would um, benefit us if we could adhere to the path or the way of Isis or Isa. Or the way of Christ, uh, in the sense that we take a middle ground Buddhist approach to various subjects, and we weigh, which is real democracy and real debating, we weigh the benefits and the consequences of things. And then we see what the best decision is based on that. So the bridal chambers are a place in which one is initiated into the mystery schools. In Central America, the followers of Quetzalcoatl were believed to have been born again as stars. In Egypt, the same belief, similar belief, was that the soul, usually that of a pharaoh, but also of others, was to be reborn as a star upon birth. And so certain magical ceremonies were carried out to hasten or assist this process. Originally called the ritual ceremony of coming forth by day, which is when you'd come forth from the temple during the rising of the sun, the newly named Egyptian Book of the Dead acts as a guide for the soul in overcoming the dangers of the afterlife. It equips the individual with passwords and tools for surpassing certain levels of the underworld and safely returning upon literal communication held with spirits beyond the veil. In both Central America and Egypt, it was believed that the soul of the dead made its journey in a boat accompanied by guides who ferried them from stages from one to another, like the Greek Sharon or Sharon. In the Babylonian version, the Lady of Hades was called Ninkigal, which is kind of like Princess Zibalba in Guatemala. Her residence also had a river that spirits must cross like the Greek version. This was in Babylon. 
The boat is the vessel of the soul in the afterlife, just as the body is the vessel of the soul in the physical life, just like the boat is the vessel of the soul and body in Egypt. It floats on a symbolic river, the river of the Milky Way, where human souls go after their body dies and where souls emanate from during incarnation, the river of souls. The Egypt, uh, the Egyptian uh, river um, in Egypt, the Egyptian river, the Nile, was considered connected to the sky in that manner, just right there, just connected to the sky, this river of souls. That's where Osiris was placed. The Cherokee Indians call the Milky Way where the dog ran, referring to a myth about a dog that ran away with a meal dripping from its mouth. The trail became the Sky River. And interestingly enough, this story of uh, the Cherokee referring to the dog, well, that would take us to... um, that would take us to the tomb of Doublecomb, an 8th century ruler of the Mayan city of Tikal, where an underworld was depicted, very similar to that which was depicted in the Valley of the Kings in Upper Egypt. Both versions had a dog or dog-headed deity, a bird or bird-headed deity, Anubis and Toth, or an ape or ape-headed deity. In Central America, one level of the underworld was called Tio Koyo Kaloya, the place where beasts devour hearts. Most of you know that in Egypt, the feather weighed against the heart, and then, depending on the judgment, an enormous crocodile-hippopotamus-lion combination creature would eat the dead. It was called the eater of the dead. Same exact type of tradition. We also know that Hades weighs the souls, Santa Morta weighs the souls, Archangel Michael weighs the souls, Jesus Christ weighs the souls, Isis weighs the souls. Isa weighs the souls. Same tradition, same exact thing happening all over the world, including the ceremony of the opening of the mouth, uh, the paichi in Central America of human sacrifice, the word uh, meaning to open the mouth, or the peshenkif opening of the mouth tool used in Egypt. It's all coming from the same place. Even in Japan, even in Japan, they have a tradition calling a shaman, having them perform a ritual on the dead called opening the mouth of the dead. So this is from Egypt to Japan all the way to the Americas, all around the world. And monoliths and megaliths and artifacts and stories like this abound from the serpents of the Americas to the rainbow serpent of Australia. The civilizing creator gods and goddesses, the divine nine that we find in so many different traditions throughout the world, created man in their image, just like the biblical story, but in the sense that man is an expression of the divine, a droplet of the divine, comes out of, not into this world, but out of this world, like leaves on a tree branch. And these stories and narratives and symbols and all of this incredible stuff that really defies imagination had to have been put together by a very sophisticated, spiritual, very knowledgeable about math and science and engineering and all sorts of other things, a people that I don't think were alien, probably very human, but a pre-ancient civilization on this planet is very advanced and this has been passed down generation to generation culture to culture 
And this is what we're left with today. Not just amazing structures, monuments, temples, etc., but amazing mythology and amazing dramas that have been acted out century after century in the temples of Greece and Rome and Egypt and South and Central and North America and Japan and Australia and Indonesia and India all over the world. Keeping the secret teachings alive. I'm Ryan Gable. This is The Secret Teachings. A lot more after this. Don't go anywhere. Howdy, this is Joe Mars, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings. You're listening to The Secret Teachings. For more information on the show or to contact Ryan, visit thesecretteachings.info or email ryan at rdgable at yahoo.com. Hey, this is John Peasy at johnpeasy.com, and I'm here with Ryan Gable from The Secret Teachings. If you're looking for a great gift that keeps on giving this year, check out one of my four books for the holiday season. Occult Arcana is a monumental collection of esoteric and occult lore. The technological elixir looks at UFOs, demonology in the music industry, and the soul and spirit in relation to modern technology. Liberty Shrugged, my new book, takes you on a historical journey through the concepts of natural liberty and provides a different angle on the American Revolution. Food philosophy explores food industry propaganda, advertising tricks, and geoengineering. Get all four books only at thesecretteachings.info in softcover or digital. That's thesecretteachings.info. You could listen to this. And again, you know, people say David has no evidence. David has no evidence. I hate this channel. Or you could listen to The Secret Teachings with myself, Ryan Gable, five nights a week on Ground Zero Radio. Join us to explore the outer limits of history, symbolism, parapolitics, and more. We'll explore a little bit of everything, but don't take my word for it. I'm kind of like you. I'm the last of a dying breed, a generalist. That's The Secret Teachings, five nights a week on Ground Zero Radio. This is Kev Baker of The Kev Baker Show, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings with Ryan Gable. Thanks, Ryan. This is David Knight with thedavidknightshow.com, and you're listening to The Secret Teaching. Broadcasting from somewhere between the normal and abnormal. A collection of question marks. No reason, no explanation. Just a prolonged nightmare in which fear, loneliness, and the unexplainable walk hand in hand through the shadows. It's The Secret Teachings on Ground Zero Radio. This incredible tradition of the way or the path that we find all throughout the world, from the Americas to the Middle East, from Asia down to Australia with the rainbow serpent, the creator and the civilizer, the civilizing and creator gods of all these different cultures and the legacy left behind by their progeny has left us with a miracle of spiritual development that is grossly overlooked, taken for granted, and misunderstood. Manly Hall called it the secret teachings of all ages. And even if you read his book, it doesn't even contain all of the details. He's got plenty of other books he goes into even further detail. Plenty of authors and researchers that tell us similar things and confirm what Manley Hall wrote. And that is, if you look at places like the King's Chamber of the Great Pyramid of Giza, which is Isa or Isa, which is the Egyptian name and the Japanese name for the goddess. Isis, Isa, Isa 
Jingu, the text in Japan, which is Ameterasu, these deities, these characters, these ideas, these archetypes are the same. And it's in the king's chamber, the womb of the goddess. G is the earth. That is Geb, the god. So G is the earth. Iza is the goddess. So it is the earth goddess, the earth womb, the earth uh, womb of the goddess. Isis is the mistress of the pyramid. So the king's chamber had a specific and a very, very particular um, job to do. It was meant to house part of the drama of the second death ritual. It was in this chamber that the candidate, after being crucified upon a cross of solstices and equinoxes, Yul, Letha, Mabon, and Ostara, was buried in the great coffer for three days. And after three days, they would be born again. The room was a doorway between the material world and the transcendental spheres of nature. While the body was in the coffer, the soul of the neophyte soared as a human-headed hawk like Horus the various celestial realms to discover eternal life, light, and truth on the path of Christ, the way, the light, the truth, all those things that Jesus said. To recognize that death is an illusion, darkness is an illusion, sin is an illusion. The Great Pyramid is the gateway by which ancient priests permitted the very few to pass in order to obtain the individual resurrection of the soul. The coffer in the king's chamber, when it is struck, emits a sound that vibrates, a sound that is unlike anything, according to Manley Hall, known on the musical scale. The king's chamber, therefore, is an ideal setting for the confinement of the initiate and the conferment of the highest degree of the mysteries. It was through the passageways of the chambers and the chambers of the Great Pyramid that one was able to experience the ups and downs and the inconsistencies and the rough patches and then periods of relief, things that you would experience as a living human otherwise. The trials of the afterlife performed when one was very much alive. It was through these passageways and chambers of the Great Pyramid and other pyramids and temples that initiates entered its portals as men and came forth as gods, just like at Teotihuacan, the place where men become gods. The second birth out of the womb of the mysteries. If you look at Tutankhamun's casket, Tutankhamun's casket has an inscription right next to the Anubis statue that reads, Initiated into the Mysteries. The major myths of Egypt were like they were in many cultures, far more than stories. They were dramatized performances each year, dramatized mystery plays that were meant to impart, arguably even for the priests who allowed those to enter into these higher societal levels of initiation. They were ancient even to them. These mystery traditions that teach the way are as old as the pyramids, probably much older of Egypt at least. They likely predate even the Ice Age, 
They likely um, don't come from the kind of human that we, we are and interact with today. When you think of these types of um, things, we've been conditioned in contemporary times to see them as incredible, as fantastical, and as having no meaning. They were just stupid stories that were told. But stupid stories don't build things that stand the test of time, and they don't build those things to stand the test of time because they're telling stupid stories. They build them because they have a very specific purpose. Very specific purpose. And at Heliopolis in Egypt, this was the place where the gods had discussions. This was the place considered a storehouse and a foundation for the legacy of wisdom that was handed down from the heavens to earth. It was here at Innu or Heliopolis where the gods initially began their role during a time called First Time. The first time when the gods came to earth. There's another interesting story that we find in the Odinic Mysteries. Tell me if this does or doesn't sound familiar. In this storyline, there were nine worlds, just like the nine divine in Egypt. The Odinic storyline is that the gods directed the world from a place called Asgard. You've probably heard of Asgard. Much like Jesus, Krishna, Quetzalcoatl, Viracocha, Osiris, etc., the god Odin had a son named Balder, or Balder the Beautiful, who brought peace and love to the world. One of his 12 disciples was named Loki, the manifestation of evil. Loki's also kind of like Lucifer. He rebelled from heaven. When Loki attempted to kill Balder, just like Set tried to kill Osiris, his light and love vanished from the world. However, the gods attempted to bring him back to life. This is Balder. They're a process of resurrection. These mysteries were then acted out by physical humans. That's why they call it living resurrection, because you don't actually die, although some might have died during these trials. These mystery traditions were organized in underground crypts, acting as temples or literal wombs inside of the earth. The chambers in the Odinic mysteries counted nine, again, representing the nine worlds. And these mysteries and these dramas were meant to awaken and to unlock the spiritual components of the sub and the unconscious minds so that just like Osiris in the coffin on the water being picked up by the tamarisk tree, the roots of which are rooted in Malkuth, you are brought up through the tree and you become like a god. You become like a divine. So the same kind of a thing in the Odinic mysteries is found. The same kind of a thing is found in uh, Indian traditions all over the world. The India tradition, Hindu tradition, and Indian in the case of um, uh, various different cultures uh, that shared flood myths, that shared creation myths like the Cherokee and the Hopi, etc., and although Egypt might be considered maybe one of the one of the most famous lands with some of the most famous monuments and artifacts and all that, and certainly for those who pay attention, they have some of the most uh, incredible stories and mythologies and mysteries. But when you unbiasedly and honestly investigate this, you recognize that it's not just Egypt. 
It's all over the world. It's virtually every ancient and pre-ancient culture. They believe the same thing. So what would be the point? If we just break this down very simplistically, what is the point of going into a temple or a pyramid or a bridal chamber, laying down for a couple days, hallucinating, and then being symbolically resurrected? It was meant to preserve a certain social and cultural standard to create generations of better, as in the Freemasonic sense, to leave behind a better community, to build up instead of tearing down, to work with your brother, to work with your sister, family and community, to build things that would stand the test of time, both physical and spiritual. It's interesting if you take a look at I was just in Utah recently, and if you take a look at the Mormon church, some of you might know a little bit about the Mormon church. If you look at the Mormon church, the, the, the actual physical church, they have a, and, or if you've been to Utah and you've seen the signs, they have this obsession with beehives. And the reason they have this obsession with beehives is because you know, the Mormons, Mormonism, is founded on a very similar type of uh, Jewish Freemasonic uh, Middle Eastern lore. They even have a separate temple in Salt Lake City that has the Star of David. It has a very Judeo-Christian feel to it. On the doorknobs, I've I've been to the temple. uh, On the doorknobs of the temple, there are the beehives. On the doors themselves, there are beehives. These beehive structures you find also all throughout the world. You find the honeycomb. You find the beehive shapes. You find bees on coins in uh, Greece. Uh, And the priestesses that were associated with these bees. Priestesses in Greece were called Melissae, Melissae, or Melissa. Uh, The priests of Melissa, uh, much like Mary, much like the Magdalene. You have a beehive that is a symbol of the Masonic order. It represents brotherhood. It's used in rituals of living resurrection. Bees are the Greek symbol of work and obedience. And in tradition, they erected the second temple at Delphi. Human priestesses called bees oversaw the temples of the great goddess Aphrodite. One of her symbols was the honeycomb, and the souls of her priestesses were said to also inhabit bees. These bee women were called Melissa, a word rooted with the source of bee and honey. A Melissa was a title kind of like Christ applying to a group of bee nymphs that held the duty to teach civilization and assist initiates with living resurrection within bridal chambers that were often modeled in the fashion of a beehive. Nymphs are also a personification of the female creative force because the Greek root of the word nymphae also means veiled, which relates to the inscriptions of the static Isis. I, Isis, am all that has been, that is, or shall be, no mortal man hath ever unveiled me. Of course, no mortal man hath ever unveiled you. You must become immortal and like the gods to unveil the mysteries. You cannot unveil them unless you become godlike. And simultaneously, you cannot become godlike until you unveil the mysteries. The honeycomb, the bees, and the bee hives, the Melissa, and of course, the Magdalene. The sacred, uh, other than Isis, the sacred goddess, the sacred feminine, the sacred woman that we know as a Magdalene. 
Many women have gone by this title, title of Mary. The title of Mary or Magdalene, it comes from a word, Magdal Elder, meaning Watchtower of the Flock. Watchtower of the Flock. And whoever embodies the ways of this path, path of Christ, etc., take on the essence of these energies, these reservoirs of energy, and they become godlike. Whoever embodies these ways comes to become a protector of the way. And if they choose to be a teacher, then this is the way of the watchtower, the way of the watcher over the flock, like, you know, the story of Orpheus, story of the Paschal Lamb, the story of Jesus, and so many others. Following the way consists of rediscovering the lost word of the Grand Master, which has remained buried in the rubble of the collapsed temple since the death of Hiram Abiff. Equilibrium brings about the realization of the universal agent by which the alchemists could resurrect the spirit and complete the unfinished temple. One of my favorite authors, Eliphas Levi, says, The law of equilibrium in analogy leads to the discovery of a universal agent, which was the grand secret of the alchemists and magicians in the Middle Ages. The way is the center path of Buddhism, also known as the Middle Way. It is the realization of the God within rather than a God outside. By finding that which we call the way, we are finding that which is within ourselves. It is embodied in theme by the Greek philosophy of know thyself. That's an axiom that was directly associated with the Oracle of Delphi at Greece, also attributed to the philosopher Socrates and the philosopher Plato, who taught Aristotle. From these philosophers, we get the stories of Atlantis, where supposedly the Egyptian and likely other traditions uh, for both building and both physical building and spiritual building came from. Plus, the temples and the pyramids represented not only the womb of the goddess, the womb of the earth, the G is the earth, the architect, and the Isa or the Isa is the goddess, the womb, the mistress of the pyramids, but they also represent you. You are also the temple itself because your body is a temple, as the Bible says, and everything that you do to accomplish the great work, which is the alchemical transmutation, all that process is like putting bricks into place to build yourself into a stronger, more intellectual, more aware, more conscious, more spiritual, more divinely connected person or experience. And likewise, as every person continues to do this, they are themselves a brick in the societal temple, which is why we have the unfinished pyramid of the Freemasons. It is by far evil, very, very far away from evil. It's the opposite of evil. It's about building a better community, not political things like build back better. It's about building a better community by helping other people, by knowing thyself and doing things that accomplish, hopefully, a form of enlightenment whereby we can look beyond the physical world. We can look beyond the mundane. We can look beyond the profane. And we can understand that there is not only life beyond death, generally speaking, but there is immortality in all things 
so long as one comes to the Father to recognize that. And by coming to the Father, what this means is that you are coming to the source and acknowledging that the source of all things that gives us light and life and warmth, that shows us the way in the darkness, whether that's the Son or that's Jesus, the Father, the Mother, etc., it's all coming from the same divine source, rejecting that and trying to subvert that is what is evil. The Magdalene and the Melissa are basically, as they were in Babylon and uh, various uh, cultures throughout the Middle East, uh, Babylon is one of the most famous. They were guardians, uh, watchers over the ritual ceremonies. They wore the red robes, like the red veil over Isis's face. And again, the idea of knowing yourself and, and, and recognizing yourself and becoming aligned with that is associated with the Oracle of Delphi. Uh, mountains, uh, Oracle of Delphi in the mountains. Uh, and, uh, you know, this is a place also where you have the python uh, because the little tiny thing that she sets on, the little tripod is um, the uh, uh, basically a, a trinity symbol which is entwined with serpents and depictions that come up from the earth. Uh, the Oracle of Delphi, who Alexander the Great once consulted during his military campaigns, um, the original name was Pytho or Pythia, since the chambers were initially home to the great Python. The name Pythonus or Pythia was given to a female hierophant of the Oracle. It literally relates to those that throw themselves on the ground in fits of confusion, inhaling the toxic, noxious fumes of decomposing matter. And it is from Delphi, going back to its origin, Delphos, which means womb. Womb of the serpent, land of the plumed serpent, which is the Americas, the rainbow serpent. All of this has a similar origin. Of course, you go back to the Garden of Eden. So Apollo, the sun god, he slayed the serpent in the story, in the Greek story. And you find that um, when you look at uh, these different gods like Osiris, Orpheus, the Melissas, uh, Dionysus, they were often dismembered and uh, sacrificed. A very similar type of a thing you find within the shamanistic stories that go back tens of thousands of years. Shamans were dismembered and experimented on in these altered states of consciousness. There's also a parallel to alien or UFO abductions, which probably are usually military, um, where people are experiencing being dismembered or being tortured in some fashion, but it's for your own good. Uh, being, um, being the victim of some kind of experiment where you have something implanted in your body. Uh, this is parallel uh, from UFOs, ufology, to shamanism, and also within the various mythologies and stories where these gods are torn apart in a frenzy and chaos, and then, well, kind of like, um, unlike Humpty Dumpty, they are put back together again. So it's basically the idea that you are having your whole world, everything you think you know is being turned upside down. Everything is being turned inside out and you are being taught the true mystery. And the true mystery is that there is no death. 
That's the true mystery. There is no death. Am I going to get killed for saying that? That's, that's the mystery. That's what you're taught in the mystery schools. There is no death. The problem, and it's more complicated than that, and simply saying that doesn't register unless you've come to the realization for yourself through experience. Which is why there's so much information nowadays on this, and it's, it's, it's anywhere you look. And, uh, well, nobody really gets in trouble for saying it because it's, you can say it, but it doesn't have the meaning unless you've experienced it. And when you do, it is a revelation. It is a lifting of the veil. It is a resurrection because you realize this is just an experience and there will be something after this. This is a pause. This is a break. This is a vacation. Now, that doesn't mean that, uh, you know, after this life, you go to another life and you still have your car and your house and your money and all that kind of stuff. Obviously, that's not what it means. But there is life after what we call death, which is why we call death in the mysteries the great rebirth, whether it's a symbolic death in a system or a process of living resurrection, or it's the physical death by which in most cases around the world, the body is mummified and preserved and the tombs are filled, filled with uh, riches and for the pharaohs at least, at least things that help you, magical spells help you get through the trials of the under, underworld. And the living resurrection is supposed to prepare you for the real death so that you can be reincarnated as a star, which is a cornerstone of Central and South America, of Africa, and a cornerstone of most Eastern traditions as well. So I want you to think about why these traditions are so similar. Uh, Isa Jingu, Isis, Quetzalcoatl, Veracocha, and why today we still see Tezcatlipoca introduced in California as a chant in public schools, a god that demanded sacrifice that was able to conquer temporarily the loving, peaceful, non-sacrificial, at least non-human sacrificial cult of Quetzalcoatl. Why would they chant that name? Why would they promote that? Because there are forces of Set, forces of Typhon, forces of Tezcatlipoca, forces of the conspirators that went after Veracocha or Osiris or Krishna. Krishna was targeted at Dwarka, in the same way that Quetzalcoatl was targeted at Tolan by Tezcatlipoca, the smoking mirror, the scrying mirror, the black mirror, the black obsidian stone, calling on powers from beyond, taking control of the soul spirit. Now, we can bring this back to what some might consider to be reality, to be more grounded, and that is when we talk about the transition of man to machine what I call the technological elixir, promising us everlasting life. You notice that technocrats promise you the same thing that the mysteries promise, right? Everlasting life. But what their everlasting life is, is a physical extension of spiritual damnation and spiritual death. To recognize that life is not the end, that there is something beyond, is to be awakened and to be initiated into the mysteries like Tutankhamun, like Pythagoras, perhaps in some way, shape, or form, like Napoleon, various Roman emperors, pharaohs, etc. To 
think that life can be indefinitely extended otherwise is a mirror of confusion and distortion. It is uh, blowing smoke, as they say, the smoking mirror of this Central American god. They are conspiring like the Egyptian, South American, and Indian evil forces that wish to kill Krishna, that wish to kill Osiris, that wish to kill Viracocha. And in the end, forgive them for they know not what they do. In the story of Viracocha on Lake Titicaca, those that conspired against him realized rapidly that what they had done was wrong. Some of them, and depending on what story you read, uh, recognized it was wrong and began to repent. Kind of sounds like Jesus on a cross, doesn't it? They repent. They realize that they've done something wrong. The sky darkens. The weather changes. You hear the rumblings of God and a higher divine power. And Jesus says, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This is part of the mysteries, part of the traditions. And what wasn't performed in temples and other things like uh, natural grottos and caves were were performed uh, out in groves, tree groves, forests, powerful uh, places of energy. To know thyself, to come into contact with the divine. That's what I have to share with you tonight on The Secret Teachings. One of my first and longest-lasting relationships with knowledge and information. That's what I named this show after The Secret Teachings. We covered like a teeny tiny bit of it, maybe two pages out of my giant book, Occult Arcana, tonight on the show as a a point of reference. And the reason that I bring all of this up tonight is not only because of the similar parallels between politics and technology, but also because November has always been considered the month of beginnings. And the month of beginnings, the new year, is a resurrection of the dead, the dying. And so we celebrate the dead and the dying. We celebrate uh, the days of the dead. We celebrate Halloween, etc. November is also known as the Blot Monat, or the Blood Month. And interestingly enough, we had last night the Blood Moon. The Blood Moon is symbolized this time by a beaver, which is a symbol of community like the beehive. These symbols of uh, the moon and the sun and terrible things happening as predicted in the Bible. These are cyclical. These are natural. These are environmental. These are internal. These are spiritual. And when you turn your attention away from the mundaneness, not that mundaneness is a bad thing, but you turn your attention away from the roughed up and grotesque below and recognize that there is a similarity in the heavens above and that you can connect with that and you can become essentially godlike. It's not tongue-in-cheek and it's not hyperbolic. That is the soul, that is the spirit. Recognizing that and understanding immortality in these capacities is initiation into the secret teachings and the mysteries. I'm Ryan Gable. This is The Secret Teachings. Thank you so much for tuning in tonight. I hope you enjoyed our topic tonight, considering it was much different than what we've discussed the last couple of nights. A lot more coming up the rest of this week, Thursday and Friday. www.thesecretteachings.info is the website. Please subscribe. Please buy a book. I'd highly recommend Occult Arcana. If you enjoyed the show tonight, email us at rdgable at yahoo.com or tstradio at protonmail.com. You can find us on 
Facebook and Twitter. And if you'd like to buy a book or subscribe to the archive, you can use the money sign R-D-G-A-B-L-E, R-D Gable, money sign R-D Gable on Cash App. Use the links on our website or the PayPal option. If you have any questions, use those emails to shoot me a, uh, a message. Stay safe, stay informed, stay healthy. Don't be afraid, be informed. And we will talk to you on the next broadcast. Thank you so much for tuning in and staying with us for the extent of tonight's show.